0: Please join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. As we look at God's Word, let's look to Him in prayer. Join me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we are thankful that You are with us now by Your Spirit. And Father, you have provided your word for us that we would grow to know you, to love you, to to serve you. And we thank you, Father, that you have promised to be with us at all times. And would you now, by your spirit, give us eyes to see, minds to understand, hearts to receive. And may we have hands and feet that are strengthened To follow Jesus, for we pray in his name, amen. We're at week number eight now in our series, A Life of Sanity in a World of Vanity. Um, We all have run into road construction, and I always like to take a look at at road signs. Um, A couple of common road signs, of course, are road construction ahead, or not the words flagger ahead, but the outline of a person uh, with a flag that tells you a flagger is ahead. You know, who is the most important person at a place of road construction? Is it is it the person actually doing the work, digging, fixing the asphalt, putting in the curb? Well, of course, they are important. But... You know who I think may be one of the most important persons in a road construction crew? It's the man or woman with the flag, with the sign on the pole. You know, that paddle sign that on one side says stop. And on the other side doesn't say go. It says slow. I believe our text today will serve as a sign like this calling us either to slow down and stop or to proceed and go slow. We're here in Ecclesiastes, one of the wisdom books, um, the preacher we believe to be Solomon. And his words, as he's guided and directed by God, helps us stay anchored to our calling to live by faith in Jesus Christ and not by sight in this world this fallen world this world full of sin and misery frustration and futility confusion and chaos ecclesiastes as we've been seeing presents the necessity of fearing god in a fallen and frequently confusing and frustrating world the preacher wants us ecclesiastes wants us god himself wants us to see and to know That life without God is is utterly empty. And yet life with God is full and fulfilling. When we started out, we looked at the beginning and end of Ecclesiastes, the bookends, because what the bookends do is they help hold all of the books together on the shelf. We saw at the beginning the preacher said, all is vanity, meaning It's like mist. It's like vapor. It's like breath. It's fleeting. It's empty. And he uses an expression often of striving after the wind. And it's the idea of trying to grasp the wind with your hands. And at the very end, he echoes what he said at the beginning. He says, again, all is vanity. But he also says a few other things at the end. He says that in this book, between these two bookends... There are going to be words of pleasure, words of pain, words that provide a perspective, summing it up, fear God and keep his commandments, and words that call us to prepare, to prepare for death, it's inevitable. Prepare for judgment, it's inevitable. So far we've seen the preacher set up the longing for something new and lasting. We've seen the the preacher Solomon say a couple of things. I've seen everything and I'm a wise man. And we see him in his words sort of making us feel worse at times than better. But he's achieving his purpose. We've seen him talk about pursuing pleasure, wisdom and toil. We've seen him go down the avenues of an hedonistic life, a contemplative life and an active life. And he says it's all vanity. We saw Ecclesiastes ask us what time it is. And we saw that it's time to recognize that control belongs to God. And it's time to rest content in God's control. A couple of weeks ago, we, we saw that in view of injustice and oppression, the preacher says, you're better off dead or you're better off not even having been born. And, and that leans forward to Jesus. Because in Jesus we saw that there's the uncorrupted place of justice. And the uncorrupted place of righteousness. And that in the world where there is no comforter for the oppressed. where the, In a world of injustice, Jesus provides justice and Jesus provides comfort. Last week in the human race we looked at chapter 4 verses 4 through 16 and we saw the preacher talk about running alone by yourself and for yourself. Running together with others and for others and running to the end with a teachable spirit. And once again that text leans forward and anticipates a greater king to come whose fame will not be fleeting, who will not be forgotten, but whose fame will endure forever. And as we saw this text in the context of the entire scripture, the entire canon, we saw that this leans forward to a king who in his earthly ministry ran the race alone for us and now in his present heavenly ministry runs together with us and for us. Join with me now as I read the first seven verses of Ecclesiastes 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Well, what do we see immediately, without much effort from our from our text at least three things Uh, we see as I mentioned a movement from horizontal relationships to the vertical A, a a movement for from companions here on earth to the one that everyone must be confronted with sooner or later the living and true God he it's a movement from life under the sun to life beyond or above the sun so to speak It's a movement toward the eternal God. And again, as you look through Ecclesiastes chapter 4, God is absent. It's kind of like, uh, what, the book of Esther. God is not mentioned directly, but he's everywhere. Of course, in in Ecclesiastes 4, God is not directly mentioned, but of course, God himself is with us, as we sang. But now there's an overwhelming presence of God. It goes from nothing to an overwhelming presence. God is mentioned six times and he refers to God. It's a seventh time. It's the highest concentration of focus on God in all of Ecclesiastes. So there's a movement from the horizontal relationships to the vertical. And we see a change of location. It's now going from just... Under the sun to the house of God. The, the tabernacle became the temple. And, and, and the high point of Solomon's building program, of course, is the temple in Jerusalem, built in the 10th century B.C., destroyed in 587 B.C. It's the structure which pointed to God's holiness and inaccessibility except by sacrifice, whether that was the t- tabernacle in the wilderness, the temple in Jerusalem. It's the designated place where God said that he would meet most fully with his people. And so with this change in location, with this reference to the house of God, there's now this theme that's going to be developing. A theme of approaching God, a theme of worship. And thirdly, not only do we see this movement from the horizontal relationships to the vertical and not only a change in location, but we see a shift from observations to exhortations. We see a shift the preacher makes from the indicative statements to the imperative commands. The preacher's observant eye is now on man as worshiper. He observes and then he exhorts. Who is the preacher's audience. Well, we heard earlier from Jeremiah kind of this outright hypocrisy, this complete, utter disconnect between what God requires of his people and what his people were doing. But here, one commentator, as he looks at this entire passage, says this, quote, this writer's target is the well-meaning person who likes a good sing and turns up cheerfully enough to church, but who listens with half an ear and never quite gets around to do what he has volunteered to do for God. In other words, the the audience that Solomon is writing here is just the average Israelite, the average one who knows he or she has been called to worship the true and living God. Well, our text, I believe we'll see presents not an either or, but rather a both and, and we'll find in these words of the preacher, exhortations in both the form of a warning and an invitation when it comes to worship. And so if you're looking for the outline, it's pretty simple, a warning in worship and an invitation to worship. So let's take a look at first a warning in worship. Look how he begins, guard your steps, guard your steps. Um, The way we would express it probably in our language today is watch your step. Hey, watch your step. In other words, be careful Here's this general warning right off the bat. Guard your steps. You see, Solomon is wanting man to remember who he is and where he is. And he also is going to call the reader, his audience, to remember who God is. Toward the end of Hebrews, the writer says this let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Solomon is wanting his reader to watch their step as they approach God. So the first warning is general. Watch your step. But then it gets a little more specific. Secondly, Guard your mouth. Listen to this language. Um, draw near to listen. Do, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Therefore, let your words be few. Not only watch your step, but guard your mouth. Watch your lips. When it's referencing the sacrifice of fools, what we should think is this excessive talk with little to no heart, little to no sincerity behind it. It's this idea of rushing into prayer with many words that fails to see the difference, the great difference between God in heaven and man On earth. Jesus. As I mentioned earlier. Addresses this in his sermon on the mount. When he speaks of praying to your father. In secret. And praying to your father. Who already knows your needs. When you pray. Do not heap up empty phrases. As the Gentiles do. Empty phrases. You wonder if. During that time, that expression, empty phrases, would have caused some listening to Jesus to think of the emptiness that the preacher has been speaking of in Ecclesiastes. The warning in worship, this general warning, watch your step. This more specific warning, guard your mouth. And then, third, pay your vow. We see that in verses 4 through 7, this discussion of paying a vow, a particular promise made to God. And this would echo what is written in Deuteronomy 23. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy 23. And beginning in verse 31, excuse me, 21, we read this. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. It's almost as if the preacher is saying, y'all haven't been doing this. You've been making vows. You haven't followed up. It would have been better not to vow at all. They're voluntary, of course. But once you've made it, keep it. In other words, don't just make a vow to try to bribe God. And when he references here the messenger, we see that in verse 6. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Could be an angel, but most likely the messenger, of course, is the priest, the one who's working in the temple. Not only are you sinning before God, but you're actually going to sin before uh, the priest, your, your representative there in the temple. And look at this. Not only does it speak of a sacrifice of fools earlier, but we read, in um, verse four, that God has no pleasure in fools. God has no pleasure in fools that just talk a lot and use many words that are empty, or words that are uttered and promised but not kept. How to summarize this warning? It's this, don't be a fool when it comes to worship. Don't be someone whose outward form is greater than the inward reality. And of course, as long as we're here on earth, battling sin, we're gonna all struggle with the inward and the outward. But it's a warning. Don't be a fool when it comes to worship. And as I was thinking about this warning this watch your step guard your mouth um you know I remember growing up I would say things and I shouldn't have said and my parents would discipline me and I remember one time just telling I think my older sister to shut up I didn't think that was that bad, but I learned that saying it with that attitude, my parents were right to call me on it. But if I can say this reverently and appropriately and in the context of of God's word here, the preacher is saying to the fool, shut up. James is going to say later, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. The preacher says, go to the house of God with a receptive attitude and a readiness to listen rather than to lecture God on what he ought to be doing or how he should run things. Earlier, Solomon had drawn attention to God being sovereign, therefore fear him. God determines not only all things in general, but in particular, how we are to approach him in worship. He's speaking here of the importance of worshiping rightly, the danger of speaking quickly, the risk of vowing carelessly. He's encouraging caution, reverence, restraint, moderation, and sincerity. And if your approach to God is foolish, look what he says in verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. There is vapor, there is mist, there is smoke, there is emptiness. It's all for naught. It's nothing. Cotton candy is more substantial than this vanity that the foolish approach to worship God leads to. Well, if we didn't consider in just a moment these last few words of verse 7, it would be easy to view our text, I believe, as a stoplight, a steady red light. Now, overall, our text is a red light to be sure, But I think it's a flashing red light that says, in effect, do come to a complete stop, look both ways, and then proceed. And in doing so, it has the effect of being a green light, an invitation to worship. And so let's move now from a warning in worship to an invitation to worship. Now, before we begin, ask yourself this question. When it comes to worship, do I default just with the warning or do I fault just with the invitation? Because it's not an either or. It's not either there's a warning about what worship should not be like or just an invitation to come into the presence of the Lord. It's a both and, not an either or, and yet we all have defaults. So is your default the warning or is your default the come on in? Do you see the red light or do you see the green light? Again, our text seems to be a flashing red light. Come to a stop, look both ways, and proceed with caution. So an invitation to worship. Wow, it's the mission of grace and peace, calling people to worship. Of course, our postcard, to be human is to worship. Who or what are you worshiping? It's a great statement. It's a great question. It's a question that most folks don't actually want to take the time to ask themselves. And yet everyone, both the to, those in the time of Solomon and us now, everyone is on a quest for significance, security, and satisfaction. Everyone is looking for those things. Worship comes from an English word, worship. Seeing what God is worth and giving Him what He's worth. If you see that God is worthy of worship, then you will give Him worship. Of course, our catechism says the right thing, doesn't it? Looking at all of Scripture, man's chief end is to glorify God, to worship God, and in doing so, to enjoy Him forever. Martin Luther, when he was writing his large catechism in 1529, he made this statement, Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Because look how our our text ends. But God, the one who has rescued people should cling to and confide in, but God is the one you must fear. Here's the fear of God, one of the key themes of Ecclesiastes. It's man's first order of business. We saw earlier in chapter 3, verse 14, that the fear of God was due to God's sovereignty. And we saw at the end of Ecclesiastes that the fear of God is the end of the matter. It's the whole duty of man. And here we're seeing fear motivated by who God is, his holy, his righteous character. The Proverbs of Solomon say it pretty directly in Proverbs 1, 7, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and that the fear, excuse me, the, fear, uh, the beginning of knowledge. And then later in Proverbs 9:10, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You want knowledge? You want wisdom? It's gonna take the fear of God. As I mentioned earlier, I hope, all of you have got a copy of this book, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? Uh, It's a shorter version of a longer book that the same author has written entitled Rejoice and Tremble. Rejoice and Tremble. And I think that captures, in a couple of words, what he's saying is the fear of the Lord. And if you notice on the back cover, this is what the editors, the publishers say. A statement. The fear of God is not a gloomy fear marked by anxiety, but a heartfelt and happy enjoyment of God as creator and redeemer. But God is the one you must fear. So, opposed to the emptiness of life, here's the fullness of life fear God, fear the Lord. Again, the book has some great chapters. Do not be afraid. He talks about sinful fear. He talks about the right fear. He talks about being overwhelmed by the creator, overwhelmed by the father. How to grow in this fear, the awesome church when it comes to the fear of the Lord, and he finishes up with eternal ecstasy, all having to do with the fear of God, rejoicing in God and trembling in God. Well, our text is an Old Testament witness as to what God expects and requires of us in worship. From the preacher, we learned that God issues both a warning and an invitation when it comes to worship. And our text leans forward to an understanding of worship that we saw and can see from John chapter 4. Worship that is biblically grounded, that is God-focused, that is Christ-centered and spirit-enabled. In the words of Jesus, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Worship in spirit from the heart. Worship in truth in accordance with the revelation of God found in scripture. Worship coming to God the Father through the merit and the mediation of the Son, Jesus Christ. Where was this text? What was the primary location? Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. The temple. Remember Jesus in his earthly ministry. He judges the temple. He says that he himself replaces the temple. He's the final temple. The temple that cannot be destroyed. Because it's in him where God's people meet Him. It's in Him that there's a relationship with God that the temple, that the tabernacle and the temple was built in order to facilitate. Through Jesus' death, we have a perfect and permanent sacrifice and intercessor for our sins. And through Jesus' resurrection, we have the gift of the Spirit who dwells within us. This text really does look forward to the full revelation of the gospel. Because in the gospel, we remember the warning. But we also hear the invitation. As Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe in the gospel. The psalmist says this. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today. Today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. All of us in the Christian life need to periodically look in the mirror and be a cardiologist. Ask ourselves Is my heart cold toward the Lord? Is it warm? To the Lord? Is my heart hard to the Lord? Is my heart soft to the Lord? The gospel warms cold hearts, the gospel melts hard hearts. Be a cardiologist, examine your heart, ask someone that you know, that you trust, not that they're infallible but they love you, and, and, and you trust them. Ask them, how's my heart? Today, if you hear his voice, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own, and my own know me. And they will listen to my voice. My friends, have you heard the voice of Jesus call you to repent and believe? Not just a long time ago, but recently. When do we get away from repentance and faith? We don't. It's the two-cycle engine of the Christian life all the way home. Are we, as a church, hearing the voice of Jesus calling us to repent and to believe? May we be a church of people who are growing both in our desire and our ability to listen to the Word of God and to put it in practice and in so doing declare to one another and to the world, that the one true and living God is indeed worthy of our love, worthy of our affection, worthy of our allegiance, worthy of our worship. Let's pray. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we acknowledge that the way we're wired, we may default to to seeing only the warnings of Scripture. But we also may default, others of us may default, to only hearing the invitations of Scripture. Father, help us to rightly handle and hear the word of truth. Help us to hear both the warning and the invitation. Oh, Father, we thank you that indeed we can come to you through Jesus. Oh, Father, we thank you for his perfect and permanent sacrifice we thank you for his present intercession we thank you for the gift of your spirit that indeed pours your love into our hearts father may we be people who heed the warning and accept the invitation for we pray in jesus name amen